This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. And the great news of the Christian gospel is that he has, in Jesus Christ, delivered us from sin and from all evil and given us victory over everything that stands against us. Let's now hear from God's word. The first reading this morning comes from Psalm 42, and you'll find that in the Pew Bibles on page 447. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Here ends the reading. Our second reading comes from Mark chapter 5. Can be found on page 816. It'd be great to have that open in front of you, page 816 of our Pure Bible. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived amongst the tombs, and no one could restrain him any more, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, 
Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be back here with you. My name's Tim, in case we haven't met. I'd love to meet you after the service, uh, especially because I'm new here. Most of you aren't. Come and introduce yourself to me. Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives. For the glory of your great name. Amen. Well, last week we started looking at this section of the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus bursts onto the scene. He's the king of God's kingdom. And he comes bringing God's reigning presence for his people, bringing God's goodness, peace, and life. But his kingdom faces opposition, powers, forces that seek to undo God's kingdom. And last week we saw especially the power of the chaotic, unknown forces of the wind and the waves that threaten to drown us and God's people. But today we turn to consider the struggle between God's kingdom and evil. You know, I don't think we think much about evil, but I think we know it when we see it. And to dive right into the deep end, the archetypal example of evil for us is the ideological violence and genocide that we saw throughout the 20th century, most forcefully expressed in Nazi Germany. The poet W.H. Auden recounts seeing a Nazi propaganda film in a cinema in 1939. As the Nazis invaded Poland, the people in the theatre were standing in their seats, shaking their fists, yelling, kill them, kill them. An evil, destructive ideology had infected part of the German people and the result was the merciless destruction of millions of precious lives. Closer to home, we've seen recently, been reminded recently of the power of evil in individuals. 
in Ivan Milat, who brutalised and murdered innocent young people. His death at the hands of, of painful stomach cancer is seen by some as an appropriate end to such evil. Even closer again, we think of the deadly persecution and oppression of the church the world over. Africa, Middle East, Asia, an oppressive evil against God's people. And inside the church too, the the systemic child abuse in the church, complete with cover-ups, pedophile rings, a parasite of evil in God's kingdom. And just to rub it in even more closer, still many of us have been touched personally by evils like these. Fear, violence, injury at the hands of racists, psychopaths and people with power over us. And so we ask, when this kind of evil exists, what is God doing? And like in that psalm that we had read, people ask us, where is your God? How can this kingdom possibly make headway if evil like this is possible? Well, this passage that we read from Mark 5 will hopefully help us, hopefully help us understand a bit more about the relationship between evil and God's kingdom. Certainly won't answer all our questions, but let's keep it open and, and have a look at it together. In the opening scene of this story, Jesus encounters a man who is the embodiment of evil. The embodiment of evil. Look at verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And I want to point out four things about this this man, this embodiment of, of evil. And the first is that Evil is a real power that invades the human realm. It's not very fashionable to think about, to believe in, a personal supernatural evil. But here it is, a real power that invades the human realm. And, you know, I think it can be easy to dismiss stories like this, dismiss demon possession in the Bible, as just a way, an ancient way of, of understanding mental illness, disease, and insanity. You know, something that we've moved on from now. We, we know now that medically, it's not demons that cause those things. But it's more complex than that because the New Testament actually distinguishes demon possession from some of those other things. Demon possession from epilepsy, from insanity, from disease. And so the picture of the Bible is that there are actually multiple planes, multiple interweaving planes of brokenness and misery that all affect each other. Brokenness is individual, a personal thing, but it's also corporate and social. It's psychological. It's affected by the way we think. It's emotional. It's wrapped up in the way that we feel. It's physiological, the way our bodies work. And it's a personal, supernatural force that stirs up and aggravates all those other factors. And in our rationalistic, scientific age, it's a trick of the devil to convince us that he doesn't exist, 
to convince us that brokenness and misery are reducible to exclusively naturalistic factors. But when we experience the depths and the intractability of some of the evil around us, that is evidence that there is a personal, supernatural force at work within the brokenness of the world. Evil is a real power that invades the human realm. The second thing about this embodied evil is that it is untamed and unrestrainable. In verses 3 and 4, this man's power is unrestrainable. And Mark is emphatic. No one, nothing could restrain this man. Not even shackles and chains. He just tore them apart. No one could subdue him. And on our own, we are helpless before this evil power. Evil is untamed and unrestrainable. Third, this evil destroys God's good creation. These evil spirits are undoing this man as one of God's creatures. He's destroying himself, cutting, bruising himself with stones. Unable to speak for himself, his identity, his personhood is overcome by this evil. And his connection with others is destroyed. The townspeople have banished him to the tombs. He's alienated, he alienates others, and he's alone. This evil takes what's good and destroys it. It's parasitic, a corruption, a corrosion of God's good creation. Fourth and finally, this evil is a power that's not only outside us, but also within us. When we read about this embodied evil, it's easy to see it as a symbol of the evil outside us, but it's personal too because notice that this man, he he doesn't have a name, he's anonymous. And in the Gospel of Mark, anonymous people sometimes invite us to identify with them. And so this anonymous man represents the way each of us can be enslaved by evil. Now, of course, it's often, most often, not this extreme. And in that sense, this man is exceptional, a result of the forces of evil bubbling up to the top in response to the presence of the Son of God. But we can still see the same patterns of embodied evil in our lives. You know, we embody this evil when we act to, des- to destroy others and our connections with them, when we're violent or verbally abusive, especially to those we love, when we're proud, bitter, and unforgiving, when we're so driven and ambitious that we tread down others, neglect our spouse, our children, our parents, or grind the faces of the poor. We embody this evil when we act to destroy ourselves. Self-destructive behaviour is something that we have little control over. It's a power over us where we often don't bear a strong moral responsibility. Self-destructive addiction to alcohol and drugs, to sex and pornography, self-destructive thoughts and impulses, they are powers over us before which we are powerless. 
Now, as I said before, there are psychological, physiological, moral, environmental explanations and treatments for these, but one layer in this complex of explanations is evil forces, destructive, malignant, untamed power that interlocks with, stirs up and aggravates all these other factors. And so this man is embodiment of evil and invading untamed, destructive and personal power that influences each of us, influences our lives, influences the church, influences the world. And so what happens when this embodied evil tries to oppose the king of God's kingdom? That brings us to this next scene in Mark's story. Look at verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you before God, by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Just that before Jesus, the demon-possessed man, all this power is all of a sudden pathetic and wretched. Despite all the untamed, destructive power, he runs and falls at Jesus' feet. He even vainly tries to do something, tries to overtake Jesus by uttering his name and calling on the name of God, trying to exorcise Jesus before Jesus exorcises him. But he knows it's futile, so he begs him on his knees to leave him alone. It kind of reminds me of Gollum in The Lord of the Rings whenever he's captured, wretched and pitiful, always scheming but always at the mercy of of his captors. And so Jesus is Lord over this evil. He has complete authority and power over it. But look at what happens next. Look at verse 11. Now there on the hillside a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. This has to be one of the strangest bits in the Bible. Why these pigs? Why does Jesus let the demons go into them? And why are they destroyed like that? It's very strange, and there's a lot I could say about it, but the one thing that I want to say this morning is that this is a picture of Jesus the Lord cleansing his kingdom of unclean evil. And for Jewish people, the region that Jesus was in was full of unclean non-Jews, especially the Romans, enemies of God's kingdom. And these pigs... These ritually unclean animals for the Jews represent something of those unclean enemies. And so the point here is that with barely a word, Jesus destroys the evil forces and begins to bring holiness, peace and justice to God's kingdom. Now for us, I think this is a picture of, of the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing. 
And it means that in the end, all of the evil around us will not have the final say. Hitler and other powerful despots, your attacker, your oppressor, Jesus has conquered and will conquer them. No destructive evil will have a place in God's kingdom. No more violence and abuse. No more bitterness and contempt. No more being humiliated or alienated. It will all be cleansed and cast into the sea. But that's not all, because when we read further, Jesus doesn't only destroy the evil spirits, send them away, he also delivers the man from the evil that's inside him. After the evil spirits leave him, the man is found sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. He is himself again. And later, Jesus sends him back to his family, and so he's restored relationally. He's connected with others again. He's restored, renewed, recreated. No longer self-destroying, but in his right mind. No longer alienated, but rightly relating to those around him. Jesus breaks the power of evil in us, in each of us. And he pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He transforms us by his grace to break those self-destructive patterns. And he transforms us by his grace to love each other instead of destroying and alienating each other. And so in the face of palpable evil that's outside us and within us, he's our champion, our conqueror. But it's not just because he's stronger. He doesn't just provide better, stronger chains to to bind the man. Because the climax of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus becoming a lot like this man, a lot like this pathetic and wretched man, stripped, isolated, outside the town among the tombs, crying in pain, his flesh bruised and torn. And it's there on the cross that he submits and takes the full force of that invading, untamed evil on himself and defeats it. It's with this paradoxical crucified power that he breaks our chains, binds the evil strong man for us. He tames the untamable, restrains the unrestrainable and recreates what evil destroys. Now, As I finish, <clears throat> I want us to consider, like we did last week, again how we can respond to evil by paying attention to how different characters in the story respond to Jesus. And there are, there are two. And the first is the witnesses. The swine herders and the people from the town and the country, they see what Jesus did. They hear the story. They see the demon-possessed man. They see Jesus' power over him. They see the destruction of the pigs, and they see the man delivered of his demons. And how do they respond? 
Well, in verse 15, they're afraid. And then verse 17, they beg Jesus, go away, leave us alone. It's too much. And, you know, I think Jesus can generate mixed feelings in us. You know, it's right that we fear Jesus more than we fear evil, but that fear can also make us want to drive Jesus away. The atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell listed this passage in the Bible as, as one important passage that led him to not be a Christian. For him, it was the fate of the pigs. But all of us can feel uncomfortable from this. The pigs, the weirdness of the demons, the discomfort about personal evil, it's all very confronting. It tells us a lot of confronting things about ourselves and about the reality of the world and about Jesus. In some ways, we'd just rather Jesus to heal disease and to teach moral good things, please. But discomfort isn't a reason to turn away from Jesus because if evil is real, then we need deliverance from it and Jesus is our deliverer. So I urge you, don't let fear and discomfort make you turn Jesus, send Jesus away. Instead, look at how the demon-possessed man responds. When he, first meets, when he first meets Jesus, what does he do? Well, he kind of doesn't do anything. He doesn't come to Jesus for help. The demons just kind of take him there into this encounter. He doesn't touch him hoping to be healed. He just meets Jesus and Jesus delivers him. I think this is a profound picture of one aspect of what it means to be a Christian. For so much of the brokenness in our own lives, the answer isn't simply to stop it, to repent. The answer is to submit to Jesus as your conqueror and deliverer. To recognise that those evil, those powers inside you, that, that violence that bitterness, anger, pride, addiction, self-destruction, that they're beyond you. They're too much for you. And so the essential place to start is to pray for deliverance, to say to Jesus, I surrender. Deliver me from guilt and shame. Deliver me so I might change. Deliver me so I can proclaim the mercy that you have shown me. As Christians, we're certainly not immune to destructive forces outside us and within us. But we can be confident that Jesus gives us hope for change in the present and a sure promise for complete restoration in his future kingdom. Let's pray and praise him for that. Our Lord Jesus, you are our conqueror, our king. Please deliver us. Lord, we look forward to the day when you will destroy those evil powers once and for all. And so be with us now. Deliver us in the present. 
and give us hope as we await your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.